and Jerusalem are in great distress and reproach. That's what we read last week in chapter 1. And he finds out that the city gates are broken down and burned with fire and the wall is all destroyed. And there's lots of destruction and it's a mess. And because of that, the people are in great distress and reproach. And this is a big deal to get this news. It says, you know, he, 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 um, he wept and he prayed and he fasted and, and he, he mourned for many days before he could even say anything. This, this was a big deal because under the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, God's presence was centrally located in Jerusalem. You know, the presence of God was carried around in a box, the Ark of the Covenant. And so for God's city, for the city where God dwelt, for that city to be just reduced to rubble and burning and on fire, this was devastating news for Nehemiah, right? I mean, this, is, this was their place of worship, and it's been destroyed by these enemy nations who have taken them captive. So um, uh, one more thing. Can you find me my glasses, pretty please? <laughs> Thank you, sweetie pies that are plump. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he, he finds this out. And so at, at the end of the chapter, of this chapter one, um, let's see if I can try to read this. Uh, let's see. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So he's, last week we talked about, you didn't find it? Yeah, it's because you're looking like a man. Watch. Blindfolded. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Like looking at the fridge, where's the ketchup? It's right there, honey, right in front of you. I, I'm fine. I'm I'm fine. If I if I read this totally wrong, you can tell me, and we've got it there. Okay, Nehemiah chapter two. So he we talked about the prayer that he prayed last week, and go back and listen to that if you missed it, because it's a very important order. The things that he prayed had a very very important order. So last week we talked about he, how he he didn't start petitioning God. And asking God for help until he first recognized that God's mercy, God's mercy is on the people who keep his covenant, who love him and keep his covenant, who obey his commandments. So there's this order, and we talked about that last week. So now Nehemiah is going to petition the king, King Artaxerxes. He's going to ask him for this huge favor. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Is this the new King James? Thank you, Sarah. When wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Now, Persian kings really wanted you to be happy in their presence because they believed that if you were sad in their presence, something was very wrong with you because... They, I read this. This is the cultural study. They felt like you should be happy just to be in the presence of a Persian king. So it said, I had never been sad in the king's presence before. Verse 2, therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? So the king recognized, okay, there's something more going on here with this guy. This is not just a physical thing. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. It says, so I became dreadfully afraid. 
Apparently, you could get in big trouble for appearing to be sad in the presence of a Persian king. So that's one thing, but I also kind of think he's afraid because he's what, he, what he's getting ready to ask. You see, this king, Artaxerxes, had actually shut down the rebuilding of the temple back in the time of Ezra, which is the book before Nehemiah. Ezra brought you know, a group of exiles back to Jerusalem, and, and Artaxerxes was the one who had shut down the building program, the rebuilding program, for the temple in Jerusalem. He had shut all this down. And so now Nehemiah, and you can read about that in Ezra, I think chapter 4. Now Nehemiah is about to ask him if he can go to Jerusalem to rebuild. So he's dreadfully afraid for these reasons. Verse 3. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city the place of my father's tombs lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Last week we talked about how literally, you know, this also parallels our country right now. Places literally burning with fire. And we too feel that great distress and reproach. But like God spoke so powerfully this morning, we are not to be afraid. We have the words to offer to people who are afraid. Thank you, God. So good. So good. Uh, verse 4. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Oh boy, can you just imagine? Like, here I go. <laughs> I'm going to ask the impossible. Okay, moving on. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. I want to talk for a few minutes this morning, and I don't know if we'll get through the whole chapter. And, and that's okay if we don't. We're just going to take our time because there's so much in here. There's so much rich truth and guiding principles to live by. I want to talk about favor this morning. He says, if I may find favor in your sight, if your servant has found favor in your sight, I believe God has always called his people to have favor in the sight of the heathen. Especially, particularly when, he, when God's people throughout the Bible were called to serve in, in a pagan capacity in the secular realm. God gave them favor. Can you, let's tell me right now, just who do you think of in the scripture who God called to serve in a secular capacity in an official, uh, an official place you know, in a pagan um, realm, and God gave him favor. Who comes to mind? Okay, <laughs> Joseph in Egypt, yes, had favor with Potiphar. Until he didn't, but that was because God had some refining to do in Joseph's character. Took about two years. Joseph, you know, if you know that story, he had an ego thing going a little bit, you know. When he was younger, and God had some refining, and God was preparing him to be the governor of Egypt. But until, the, until he went to prison, yep, Joseph had favor in Egypt under Potiphar. Who else comes to mind? Daniel. Daniel in Babylon. Yes, Daniel had great favor in Babylon until he didn't, until he was thrown in the lion's den. Notice, why was he thrown in the lion's den? Why did he lose favor? It was simply because he prayed. 
the God of heaven. He was not rude. He was not obnoxious. He was not directly going against the government at all. He was simply obeying God to pray. He was praying to the Lord as God, and he was thrown in, in the lion's den. And yet he came out, and he still had favor. He, all that time, he still had favor with the king. Who else do you think of? How about Esther? Esther in Persia had favor with the king. I think of Paul. Paul had favor. You know, there, there were, uh, Paul had favor with the Greeks, with the Gentiles. He spoke before kings and magistrates. Jesus, it says, grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus had great, great favor for all of his years until there came an appointed time for him to die for the sins of the people. And that, that is when he lost favor. That's when he lost favor. But it was because it was his time to give his life as a sacrifice. It, it wasn't, <laughs> he was love. He was love incarnate all throughout his life and throughout his death. Um, who else? Anyone else you can think of? Um, there were more. But so Nehemiah is looking to find favor in the eyes of King Artaxerxes. And I, it's very, very much on my heart that we as Christians, as individual Christians, find favor with God and man. Find favor in this world that's been described this morning, this crazy world. God wants to give us favor in this world. Favor with city officials, with people that we deal with. Favor in the marketplace. Favor in our places of employment. And he wants, see, if, if we Christians find favor in the sight of God and man, then corporately the church finds favor in the world. And this is so much on my heart because look, do you think Walt would have been able to pray with his neighbor in the driveway? Do you think they would have wanted to hold hands with him if he had not first found favor with them somehow? Obviously, he found favor with the neighbor because the neighbor wanted to hold hands and pray in the driveway. And, and so God has, <laughs> you know, throughout my Christian life, I, God has kept me in check, and I want him to keep keeping me in check that I find favor in this world, because if I lose favor in the sight of God and man, I am no longer effective in the preaching of the gospel. Like, don't even, I better not dare tell people where I go to church, for one thing, but I especially better not dare tell them I'm a Christian. And see, there's this part of me that can so easily lose favor with people in the world and absolutely mar my Christian testimony. I remember this one time, my sister and I, now this is years ago, I'd like to think that I've grown a little and matured in the Lord a little since then, but I don't know. The jury's still out on that. Years ago, my sister and I, we took this trip, probably about an hour trip, we had found out about this, I think it was like a thrift, a secondhand store for baby items. My kids were tiny. And so we drove a distance to check out this brand new store. And we get there, and, and according to what we had read online, it was, the store was supposed to be open. So we drive all this way, and we get there, and here the owner is locking up shop and leaving. Do you guys know what a 
poor, unfortunate people named Karen. All right, so if you don't know, Karen is a very trendy term. It's, it's a woman who's difficult, who just has a reputation of just being difficult. There's even a haircut that goes with this kind of personality. It's called a may I speak to the manager haircut. And, 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 and I, I have this tendency, my kids can tell you, because see, I hate injustice. I cannot stand when things are not fair. And so there's this part of me that wants to speak to the manager. Like, I'm like, Karen. Karen. Like, I've got an inner Karen. And it, it's scary. I mean, my kids recently reminded me like this, like, Mom, you're going all Karen right now. I'm like, oh, no. I know. And so, I, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to keep this Karen. Apparently, Brian is like the male version of Karen. So if you're Brian, I'm sorry, but I just found that out. It's this part of us that forgets. Well, here's what happened. I will show you what Karen looks like. So I'm at this shop, and the owner, who's supposed to be open for me, who has driven all the way to shop at her store, she's closing up the shop in the middle of the day. I went all Karen on her. I'm like, I'm sorry, I just drove all this way to shop here. I drove an hour, and and your sign says, and I'm, and I'm like, and my sister, it was at that point that my sister and retelling this later, I told someone that she hissed at me. Be a Christian. And, ooh, that made me matter now. Now I'm really mad. Y'all tell me to be a Christian. Especially, you know, we can't hear things from our loved ones, right? So I'm going all caring on this poor woman. My sister's reminding me to be a Christian, which really didn't make me feel much like a Christian. Just an example of how I can so easily lose favor, lose favor. You think that woman would have been pleased to find out that I was a Christian? <laughs> Let alone wanting to come to my church had I invited her? Let alone been pleased to find out that I'm the pastor there. Sometimes when I'm in the marketplace and I can see that my inner Karen is starting to come out because something I don't like, some inconvenience, some rule, some jerk. I remind myself, now what are you going to do if this person walks through those doors on Sunday morning? You're the one preaching the gospel. But see, it shouldn't even matter that I'm the pastor. That should be irrelevant. The, the point is I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. This person has no hope in the world, no peace. This person is bound for an eternity without God. And in this moment, where I am emoting over some trivial little inconvenience, why do I care more about that than the plight of this person's soul for all eternity? God, bring your church back into favor with this world that you have placed us in to be a light, a shining light. God, give us favor. I've had to ask myself, you know, is there, would people be shocked to find out that I'm a Christian? Let's ask ourselves that. The places you frequent in the marketplace, would they be shocked to find out you're a Christian? That you're active in the ministry, that you're in a place of influence in the church, would that be a shock for them? This is part of this message of Nehemiah, this message of time to rebuild. Time to take a look at the broken places in our lives as a church body and as individuals. God, how do you want to rebuild us? 
we got favor in this community. We got favor in this village. Andy Minimart gave us almost $1,000. Raised that money for us at Christmas time. They chose us. Favor. Favor. May God help us <coughs> to keep that, to be worthy of that. Okay, so, uh, so I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Verse 6. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Another story comes to mind. I guess I'm just talking about favor this morning. It's just a friendly reminder to the Karens and the Bryans of this world. <laughs> let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and indwell us every single day and let's be devoted to this more than any other news and any other thing so that we can be so full of life and love that we find favor with God and men. I remember back in 2011, God put it on days in my heart to start a, a spiritual discussion group outside the confines of religion because we know that there are people who desperately want to talk about God but not in a church or anything that looks or smells like a church. So I went to Main Street Cafe at the time, downtown Elmira, owned by two men who were married to each other. I walked in one day and I said, I'm Faith and I would like to start a spiritual discussion group. May I use your cafe? He said, yes, I'll help you post flyers. He created the flyers for me, put them all around town. That's favor. That's favor. This, this, this man met a Christian Christian. See, I remember Joyce Meyer once saying, God is in the business of making Christians out of Christians. Creating Christians who actually look and talk and act like Christians. I want to be one. Do you? I want to be one. I am not always a Christian Christian. Sometimes I'm a very unchristian Christian. But God is changing that. He's rebuilding our lives. He's rebuilding our character. He's restructuring and rebuilding the waste places, the broken places, the places that we've neglected, the places in our, in our character that we've just, you know, uh, let go to ruin so that we become a reproach. See, at the, see Jerusalem was a reproach. It says in, verse, in chapter 1, Jerusalem had become a reproach where people laughed and, and scorned the place. And I don't want the church... The church has become, in many ways, sadly, a reproach in this world. And it's not because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because we're not Christian. We act unchristian. And so God, I believe, in this season wants to take away the reproach of his people and rebuild us to look like Jesus Christ. To model him, to show forth his character and his love and his heart in this world. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. <clears throat> Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple. I was reading that um, lumber was extremely precious and rare and very expensive. 
and um, which uh, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. According to the good hand of my God upon me. If you want God's good hand to be upon your life so that you have favor with people in the world, simply keep his commandments. Spend time with him. Ask him to transform your character and your speech, your face. Ask him to send a smile to your face. I remember another time Joyce Meyer said, I don't know, I quoted her this morning, two Joyce Meyer quotes, but she said, some of you need to ask God to send a missionary to your face because apparently it hasn't, sent, it hasn't heard the good news. You know, I, this mask thing, you know, I'm, if you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a rebel at heart. I'm, I'm, I'm not just a Karen, I'm a, I'm a born rebel. Any of you who've known me long enough, you know that about me. And I don't like rules very much. But you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and I want to have favor with God in it. I want to keep the door wide open for the gospel. How do I do that? With all these rules that I don't like, they're inconvenient, and I can't breathe. You know, we pray for wisdom. Father, God, give me wisdom. Holy Spirit, I don't want to be a Karen. Holy Spirit, help me to be Jesus in this silly, crazy world that's so full of fear and ridiculousness. So what do I do? I walk into the store. I do my little, and you just do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, but please listen to the Holy Spirit. This morning, I went into talks to get the cafe stuff. I had my, my beard mask. It goes right down here. That way, everybody can see my huge smile. Good morning. Because I want people to, like, they know. They know that we're coming in from the church to get the church food. They know that. Okay, so I am here representing Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. So I'm going to submit for the sake of love, for love's sake. But I'm going to give you the biggest smile you've seen this morning. There's just wisdom that God can give us to know how to live and be in this world. Okay, and a letter, um, verse 9. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of, captains of the army and horsemen with me. This Persian king, this pagan king, has gone above and beyond. I mean, he's equipping him with an army of protection and letters because there's these checkpoints all along the way to make sure that he has the right of passage to get to where he needs to be. Favor, this is favor showered upon him by this pagan king, verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Sanballat and Tobiah Sanballat was a, a, a governor of Samaria, Samaria. They were considered enemies. So they hear this. It says they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Satan will always be deeply disturbed when you decide to start taking inventory of your heart and your life. You want to deeply disturb the enemy of your soul? Start checking out the walls around your life and, and 
in this, in this culture, in this time in world history, a city wall was a symbol of protection. It was their defense. And sometimes in our lives we allow, uh, we allow um, our defense to be torn down. This spiritual wall of protection that God has placed in our lives to protect you and me from destructive influences and decisions, we allow that wall to crumble so that things can come into our lives that will destroy us. And when we start taking inventory and inspect and, and, and examine our lives in the places where, where the wall is crumbling, Satan becomes deeply disturbed by that. And deeply disturbed when God seeks the well-being of his people, the church. And God is keenly interested in the well-being of his people in the church. Verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Go on. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. He had a few. You can go back. He had a few men with him. And you know, it's, it's like that. It's like that. Usually you will only have a very few people in your life who really get you and really attach to the vision God has put in your heart. And, and this is just how it is. This is, this is normal. This is, this is okay. I mean, you know, I, we, we have to learn. You and I have to learn that not everybody is going to get you. Not everybody is going to connect with the vision you believe God has put in your heart. And that's okay. Be okay with those one or two people who really get you, who understand, who understand what God is speaking to you, the vision and direction he's given you. Be okay with that, you know, and, and pray for them if you don't have them at all. And um, it says, I had a few men with me. I told no one what my God. See, there, there is a time to ponder things in your heart like Mary did. It says she pondered these things in her heart when the angel appeared to her, the angel Gabriel. And, and there's just tiny little lessons in here that are good reminders that, you know, sometimes God gives you a vision or an idea, and it's good to sit on it. It's good to just not overshare. Just, you know, take time to think and, and pray about it. And, um, okay, verse 13. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. Basically, he circles the entire city. And there's, <laughs> the wall is so badly damaged and crumbled. He, has no, he finds no entry point. He ends up right back me, where he started. Verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Again, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. God gives you a vision, an idea, a dream. There's a time for just holding on to that. Just hold it before the Lord. Maybe tell those one or two people who really, you know, they, 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 they get you. They they understand your heart. They're, they're committed to you. Verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in. 
how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I believe that is a central message in this study. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Let, you know, the, the places in our lives as individuals and as a church, the, the neglected places that are broken down, that are crumbling because of neglect, because the enemy has come, come in and brought destruction. Let's rebuild. Let's rebuild corporately. Let's rebuild individually so that we may no longer be a reproach, that we may no longer give people in the world a reason to speak reproachfully against us, that we may be a strong, fortified city, well defended against our, our, the enemy of our souls, Satan, and against those whom God would use to work against us. Verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been upon me, good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. It's my prayer. It is my prayer. That, that would be our cry together as a church. Let us rise up and build. I believe in the weeks to come as we get into this book God is going to show us together how we as a church can rise up together and build. Build each other up and build ourselves up as the body of Christ, as this part of the body of Christ, this church, this congregation. Let us rise up to build. And, and I know that God is going to help us to set our hands to this good work. We saw that in an amazing way last Saturday. So many hands set this good work. It was amazing. It was amazing to see all the wonderful hands, willing hands, set to this good work. And that's just in the natural. That's just the building. But what could happen if we as a body of believers said, let us rise and build the church. Let us rise and help build the broken places of the church. Let us rise and build. Let us build something that people would see and go, Wow, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. That looks like a family. That looks like a fortified city. That looks like a place of belonging. That looks like a place of miracles. That looks like a place where meaningful and eternal things are happening. And I want to be a part of that. Let us rise. Let us rise and build. Let us rise and build. Verse 19. But when Samballot the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, the Ammonite official, and Geshen the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Obviously, they don't, had no idea that they had already obtained the king's favor, so they're, they are uh, accusing Nehemiah of rebelling against the king, and how does he answer them? Verse 20, is this the last verse? Yep, final verse. So I answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. We his servants will arise and build. But you, 
have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. As we go on into this study, we're going to hear more from these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. They represent the enemy of your souls who would laugh you to scorn as you try to rebuild your life. You're not going to get anywhere. You're wasting your time. You're just a failure. You're never going to be able to rebuild. This is all for vain. We're going to deal with these guys again, but how does Nehemiah answer them? You have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Jerusalem speaks of God's people, you and me. And there are those times. There are those. There are going to be those times. The minute you decide, I'm going to rise up, I'm going to rebuild my life, and I'm going to be a part of rebuilding in the kingdom of God and in his church. The minute you decide that, there's going to be an enemy that will laugh you to scorn and try to discourage you and say, you might as well give up. Your life's too destroyed. There's too much waste and destruction for you to ever think you can rebuild your life. You will hear that voice. And how does Nehemiah answer? You have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. And as they close this morning, Frank, would you mind coming? Thank you. I just, I want to close with this prayer. Because here we go. We've heard the word of God. God is asking us, hey, hey, it's time to rebuild. Wellsburg, it's time to rebuild the waste places. It's time, it's time to examine our lives as individuals. It's time to examine ourselves as a church body. It's time to rebuild. It's time to rebuild. God is building something amazing. You know, it's, as I shared last week, it's, it's been my heart's cry that we've had this time of, of, of rest, you know, and, and introspection during this quarantine, but now God has brought us back, and it's my prayer and deep desire, and I know it is yours too, that we would, God would have us rebuild as a church something greater than we've ever been before. We want to see the prophetic. Yeah, I, we want to see a greater move of God than we've ever seen. We're, we're going to order a carpet to cover this whole front area because we want altar ministry. We, we want to have times of waiting on God, of, of having the Holy Spirit do his deep work in our life. We want that. It is so much on my heart that we do not come back into a nice building for the sake of enjoying a nice building. And it is beautiful. It's not quite done yet. It's got some more decorating to do. But, you know, it's just, we can't be business as usual. God wants us to rebuild stronger than ever before. A fortified city, well defended, well defended against the enemy of our souls and the enemy of the church. He wants us strong, strong and in the power of his might to withstand all the wiles of the enemy. So I want to tell you this morning, when you hear that voice, Laughing you to scorn, reminding you, what a, reminding you what a reproach you are. You say what Nehemiah said. You say, Satan, you have no heritage or right or memorial in my life and in this church. What is he actually saying? No heritage. You are never a part of this. You are not blood-bought. You are not a part of the body of Christ. You are not even a part of the human race. See, Satan, Satan, he's so full of lies and we have to put him in his place and remind him he will never, he's got a destiny in the lake of fire.
because he's not family, because he's not part of the blood-bought people of God. He has therefore no right to accuse, no authority to bring his accusing voice into your life and laugh you to scorn and try to discourage you from rebuilding. No right, no heritage, no right. Satan has no authority here in this place and in your life and mine. No right. The blood of Jesus Christ cancels Satan's right to your life. Let me tell you something. The only way, there is a way, the only way you can give Satan legal access back into your life is through sin and disobedience. Uh, this is serious. I talked about this last Sunday. I, I have a responsibility to preach the truth. Satan has absolutely no legal access into your life to harass you unless you yourself give it to him through willful, conscious, persistent living outside of God's will for your life. Conscious disobedience hands Satan a key to the front door of your life. Please hear that, because I love you. I love you. And I want a strong, a fortified, well-defended city. And as long as you and I are walking in obedience and the fear of God and in favor with God and man, being a Christian Christian, Satan has no heritage or right or memorial. He can't remind you of your past, of your failures. No heritage. That could be a whole other sermon right there, a three-point sermon. No heritage, no right, and no memorial in your life. He has to shut up. And we have to stop listening. Amen. If you would say with me, let us arise and build, and we will set our hands to this good work. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? Father God, we are here saying, yes, let us arise and build. We are here standing before you this morning saying, yes, to rebuilding our lives. Yes, to rebuilding our lives. Yes, to examining the waste places. Lord, we recognize that you, Jesus, like Nehemiah, are circling the walls of our lives. You are taking stock. You are examining every crack, every crevice, every hole, every crumbling rock, every broken down place of our lives because you love us and you are here encircling our lives, each one of us, inspecting because it is your burning desire, Jesus, to rebuild every single life gathered here today, every single life. It's your desire to rebuild. So we arise as one body and say, yes, let us arise and build. Let us start by building each other up with encouraging words of truth and encouragement. And God, as individuals, we will get into your word we will listen to your voice of instruction. 
we will obey you and walk in the fear of God and allow you to rebuild our lives. And when that voice of the enemy comes and laughs us to scorn and tries to discourage us, we will say, Satan, in the name of Jesus, you have no heritage, nor right, nor memorial here in this life. In my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, and in this church. You are the master builder. You are the master builder. We thank you that you are rebuilding our lives as we yield to you. Lord, I pray for repentance where there needs to be repentance. Deep, true confession and repentance. I thank you for new declarations, new building permits in the spirit. God, I believe you are issuing new building permits. You are calling us to rebuild to rebuild our lives. You've given us access and favor into your heavenly kingdom. And you are the master builder. You've laid out the blueprint, the design for each of our lives. You've, showed, you've shown us in your word what you want, how you want us to carry ourselves, how you want it to look how you want us to look and appear in this world, God. You've shown us how to have favor with God and man. Thank you for making the way for us to rebuild through the death and resurrection of the mighty carpenter, the carpenter from Nazareth, the rebuilder of our lives. We thank you and praise you, Jesus. Say, am I not the potter? Are you not the clay? The Lord would encourage, the Lord would admonish, stay pliable. Let me do the work in your life. Do not let bitterness, do not let hardness interrupt the work. Yes, I will do the work, line upon line, precept upon precept. I will rebuild. I will strengthen. I will make you strong to stand in these days as a light. The Lord would say, be pliable. Be pliable and let me do the work in 